This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Maryland Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss Monroe herself. Well, as Goodnight Maryland fans, we are certainly growing around the world each and every week, and we do have some shout outs. Julia from Madison, New Jersey, Kelsey from Turks and Caicos. Robin from Mount Shasta, California, Catherine from Los Angeles, Eddie from West Hollywood. I think he's uh, he's got uh, two shout outs. I remember him from a couple of months ago. Nancy from Flagstaff, Arizona. She wants us also to give a big shout out that she's graduating the class of Northern Arizona University. Felix from Miami, Florida, Troy from Madrid, Spain. Marcia from Santa Rosa de Vertebo. And that's, uh, I had to look that one up because I, I certainly know where Santa Rosa, California is, but that didn't sound like Santa Rosa, California. It uh, is in Brazil. And I'd also like to shout out to Jason from Rochester, Minnesota, and Caesar from Cali, uh, Colombia, and Christian from Bolivia. Well, we have a very good show today as we have a lot to talk about and get into uh, the recap from last Last week's show, the panel is back, and we'll continue to break down uh, last week's show from Dr. Reef Kareem, the mental health perspective on Maryland. A lot of good information there. You know, with so many conflicting stories, it becomes very difficult to understand who is telling the truth and who isn't. (laughs) And it gets very complicated. This season, season three, we are taking an in-depth look at what's really going on as we have been dissecting the 1982 DA report. But before we get into this week's show, uh, I do have some special people to thank, like I do every week, Randall Libero, who will be with us in just a few minutes, executive producer of Goodnight Marilyn. I'd also like to thank uh, the Voice America Radio Network's Mike Surgit, who is off this week. I think uh, Aaron is filling in, and maybe even Justin, our engineers, Jennifer, our social media person, and of course, the panel could not do this without you, and the Goodnight Marilyn fans. And uh, with that, I'd like to... To get started, uh, we're going to start it out a little bit different before we get into the recap of last week's show. Uh, we're going to be talking about the real-life investigation versus the movie, which is a feature film. And then the panel is going to join me again, and we'll recap uh, last week's show, like I said. And then, you know, all the speculation that's been happening, you know, as you know, with uh, regardless if, if uh, you know, um, if, uh, if the doctors, you know, had any malice in Marilyn's passing, we now, now know now that the doctors played a significant role in the alarming issues raised with the drugs, the prescribed drugs, in the last few months and days of her life. We also will begin our talks about Eunice Murray, 
who she is in terms of Marilyn and, and who she was as a person. There's a lot of confusion still around who this person was and who she wasn't. And if possible, I have a great soundbite around uh, the book Double Cross as we set the stage about the mob and uh, we'll start to dispel some of the commentary that it was a mob hit given what we now know about Marilyn's pathology today. But first, what I'd like to do is address some of the posts that we had on one of uh, one of the Maryland fan p- Facebook pages about a fan's disappointment that the movie and the real-life investigation were not the same and the confusion of being under the same umbrella. So I'd like you to, to – I'm just going to read you because I think this kind of sets the stage of what, we're, what uh, this discussion is going to be about and why I'm addressing it on the radio show. So this is from a, uh, a Maryland fan. To say that I'm disappointed, Maryland devotee, is a mild understatement. All true Maryland fans, those of us who truly love her, should feel disappointed and certainly betrayed. I had hoped that more distortion and more salacious exploitation of Maryland would not happen. No more sexual sensationalism, please. No more Kennedy brothers, government agents, or drooling LAPD goons. No more suppositories and injections and enema bags. No more necklace mob assassins or green visitors from Krypton. Please, no more. 53 years of those unfounded rumors are quite enough. And yet, despite the nearly liturgical protestations, uh, you know, protests of some that they only sought the truth, Apparently, this Goodnight Maryland radio investigation is going to end in yet another nightmare movie. The truth has been expertly professionally revealed to the producers and those making the movie by the weekly panel of Maryland experts. But I must conclude that the movie's producers really don't care. Sad, dishonest, shameful. Any person who truly loves Marilyn Monroe should be appalled. All right. Well... Hmm. That started a social media stir, <laughs> to say the least. But what started out is what, you know, getting blasted and judged, as you can hear from the above uh, reading, it really became a great and respectful forum, for the most part, for people to really express their views and confusion of how one could be doing a movie that's fictional and yet do a real-life investigation. So what I'd like to do in this early part of the show is to really explain the evolution, since many of you maybe have not been with us from the very beginning. And also, like you all know, I'd like you all to really kind of know where I've evolved and what I believe to date. And and I have to say, you know, after doing this show, I sometimes change, you know, week to week what I believe. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, this is the first time in history and in this upcoming conference that you're going to be able to see it hear it, read it, all at the same time over a two-day period with the experts and top researchers that have written some of the most in-depth books about Maryland. We have David Marshall from the DD Group, did a fantastic book with a lot of viewpoints, almost similar to what we're doing here, but online, right, about 10 plus years ago. Lois Banner, The Passion and the Paradox, Anthony Summers, BBC journalist from Goddess, our very own Gary Vitaka Robles, and our immortal Maryland panel, Mary Jane, Leslie, uh, you know, April, who have written numerous articles and blogs around her research and all surrounding Marilyn Monroe. You know, there is such a power 
and being together and dissecting the information that will be compiled for you at this conference. And also, even as it's being compiled now, we're talking about it. We're drilling it down. It takes a lot of energy. And you, the audience, will be able to ask questions similar to what you do on the show. You're, you're, you're doing it more and more. You're asking us questions. You're, you're giving questions to the panel each and every week. And this will be done over a two-day period. So how did it all come about? Well, it didn't happen in one day, I have to tell you that. And it was never, ever my intention, uh, you know, or of the movie, to do an investigation. So about a year and a half ago, we started a radio investigation for the sole purpose to promote uh, a movie, okay? Prior to doing the radio or having the radio show start, you know, I started to ask myself, you know, with all these theories floating out there, what really did happen to Marilyn? Okay, a lot of people, when they start getting into this, ask themselves that. And my curiosity got the best of me. So up until that point, I had read several books. I watched the numerous documentaries, and we all know now a lot of misinformation is floating out there. So I set out with some of my interns to try to understand the timeline of her death. So what we did is we got one of those, you know, big banners that you see, you might see, uh, you know, at a police station, an investigation board, right? And we put out, out on that big banner so we could see it out in front of us, the last day in Marilyn's life, the timeline. And we took three books. We took the DD Group's timeline book. We took Lois Banner's Passion and the Paradox. And we threw in Jay Margolis's uh, book to shake it up. I did not know yet Gary. So you're asking me, why didn't I have Gary's book? Some people might ask me that. Well, I hadn't known him. I didn't know him yet, right? And so we created this investigation board, similar to what you see at police stations. So it had this huge timeline of the last day of her life. And I have to say, I was taken back by all the lack of consistency with all these holes that were clearly and visually apparent. But this was what was really happening, and I didn't know it at the time, it was the birth of the investigation. There was something about seeing it on that very big big board that had a huge impact. And that started us on this wild goose chase with the three main pillars that have a big part in the information around Marilyn's death. The coroner's office, the LAPD's office, and the DA's office. We got the runaround like most people do when they start investigating. Well, from there, the radio show got started. It was the first season. It was going to be about the movie, Marilyn's Life, which if you do go back and you listen to uh, Marilyn's, uh, uh, the first season, we talked a lot about Marilyn's life. We had interviews in that first season that had nothing to do with Marilyn's death. And it was really then that we were starting to form the panel. There was no panel yet. And by the end of season one, I started to refer to them as the panel. And we started to realize as a group that this was a powerful piece of work that was beginning to uncover since the movie was, at that point, delayed again. Well, I started season two with the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life, and the entire season with the panel was dedicated to the theories and the breakdown of that last day, August 4th and August 5th. So if you haven't listened to season two, I suggest you go ahead and do so because there's a lot of good information in season two. Well, during that time, the investigation team was now forming. 
And I'm not going to get into all the investigation team and all the synchronicity of how that came together, right? But we have Dr. Michael Batten, Dr. Cyril Weck, Dr. Reef Kareem, who you heard last week. Two weeks ago, it was Dr. Scott Bond, who's a criminologist and suicide expert. We now have Sa- Sergeant Sal Lababera, who is for has been on LAPD for 33 years, and he's one of the most well-respected homicide detectives in the LAPD's history. We'll have him in the sh- on the show in a couple of weeks. And this was all being formed un- under the Goodnight Marilyn radio show because it was there to initially promote the movie Life and Investigation. The movie birthed the investigation, not the other way around. So we realized then that the investigation was taking a life of its own. The investigation had been optioned as a docuseries, but we also wanted to do something more compelling actually do a real-life investigation that brings people together, separate from any movie or TV show, and have it exist without an agenda or having a story angle. The story angle here is the truth for the investigation, and that's how the Real Life Conference was born this year. You'd hear me say on the radio show, it takes a village. One person or one point of view or one story angle is not going to shed light on this case. It's going to take 53 years plus of dissecting all this information out there and really understand, see what is fact, what is fiction, and what is probable theory and outlandish rumor. You know, my background is media, but in the last 10 plus years of my career, I've been dedicated to inspiring media. That's the reason you'll hear me do a Life Bites question or thought of the week. You'll also hear me say from time to time, and this is really one of my main reasons for doing this, is that tragedy in life, whether you're Marilyn Monroe or you're the everyday person, if that person stays in tragedy and there's no healing or truth, you will never get to transformation. That is my goal for this investigation, to move to transformation. The agenda is the truth. The movie is a fictional tale. It is not a biopic about Marilyn Monroe. And when I say biopic, I mean it is not a biopic. Someone asked me if I'm going to have Jeannie Carmen and Robert Slatzer. The answer is no. Not only is there no Jeannie Carmen or Robert Slatzer, there's no Greenson, Eunice Murray, or Pat Newcomb. There's Lou and Cherie, who are fictional characters. I feel that we can do this for two reasons. It will get people talking about what really did happen to Marilyn. Given the power of mass media, this could be used for the good. Our intention is to roll over the credits the actual real-life findings of what happened to Marilyn. And this can be a very powerful median medium, given it is not going to be marketed as a biopic. And it could shed some light on this issue. The story, the real story and the real heart of this movie is about dreams coming true and dreams being shattered. And it will make the audience look at their own dreams. And that's really the heart of the story. My feeling is that if you stay in your position and are not open to conversation, discussion of the real facts around Maryland, you will not get any new information and you'll stay in your beliefs. But if you can be open without closing the door, some very magical and unforeseen doors can possibly open to this mystery. As much as I did not, you know, really appreciate being harshly judged on that Facebook post, 
you know, we all have the right to our views. And that's the beauty of living in this, you know, world that we live in. We have the ability and the right to choose what we are, are, are going to listen to, uh, watch, read, etc. But I have to say that, you know, just as much as this person had his, his views, right? Other people, I got it on the other side. I got plenty of emails. I've been getting them each and every week upset with me. So let me address this of why we have not given the Kennedys or other possible more malice happenings more dissection this season. Well, the reason why is because we're dissecting the DA report. There's no real mention of the Kennedys, only the Red Diary, which we've already already addressed. There's a lot of people being interviewed and the pathology, etc. So just to let you know, there are just as many people that think that something more malice happened to her. That's the reason why we're dissecting this. Just to say that's hogwash, well, that's like to give somebody else their viewpoint and saying that that's hogwash. Part of this investigation is to be open to keep drilling down. So here's where I stand on the issue. I started this ride of the radio show really thinking she was murdered, like many people still do. I have come around in my thinking, mainly because of the pathology and what was going on in terms of her mental health. However, with that said, I do think there's a cover-up. And the problem for most people and why we can't let it go yet, if that is indeed the case, is that we want to keep getting to the bottom of it, figure it out. What's the cover-up, plain and simple? Well, there is a cover-up. There could be three possibilities, maybe even more. It could be all of them. Fox is trying to do damage control. The doctor's trying to do damage control. The Kennedy slash government trying to do damage control. It could be all three. It could be just something different. But that's my opinion. And until we lay out all the evidence or lack of, and I say, you know, with the people, you know, with all these people that may be listening, it is my opinion. None of us were there that night. None of us really know what happened to her. Well, maybe one, you know, there's Pat Newcomb. But even so, that's speculation. Maybe she doesn't know. I think if you're going to be part of this investigation, we all have to be willing to be open. That's you, the listeners, too. You have to be willing to suspend your judgment and seek out all sides of this, this theory and keep breaking it down. You also have to be willing to investigate even the theories you may not believe. See, I do believe that there is a possibility that Bobby Kennedy could have been in L.A. that day. Does not make him a killer, by the way. I'm not saying that. But what it does do, it could answer some of the cover-up questions. Well, given what might have happened and who he was, right? Well, Gary and I were talking, and he said, we have to investigate all possibilities, and that includes the bait kids. And guess what that means? That means there is a great possibility that Bobby Kennedy was, in fact, not there in L.A. that day. Here's the other fact, is the panel may have their own opinions, not similar to mine, based on their own research and their beliefs. The key here is to come together and be willing to look at this information, just like I did that on that timeline of that board of MM's last day, back when we start, started all of this. The evidence or lack of will speak for itself. We can then break it down for you once and for all what is actual fact, what is fiction, and what is either probable theory or outlandish rumor. I also want to point out that we have been separating out the investigation from the movie, and that will be the goal. There is a reason why the conference is called the Truth Conference, the real-life investigation about Marilyn Monroe's uh, death, and not Goodnight Marilyn's Investigation Conference. My suggestion for you, Maryland fans, 
is that you have a choice to watch in what you participate in. If you want to see the movie, see it. If you don't, you don't. If you want to participate in the investigation, fantastic. And if you don't, you don't. And if you want to listen to this radio show, and I hope you do, then you do. And if you don't, you don't. But let's all realize here that the reason why we are talking about this case all these years later is there's still so many unanswered questions. We may never get to the truth. I don't know. This is a journey, not a destination. But even to date, we have done one of the most comprehensive live unfolding of the pathology and mental health issues around Marilyn Monroe that has never been done like this before in the history of being talked about. We have drilled down for you week by week and recapped, and we'll be doing it again today so you can understand more clearly, not just in quick sound bites that are being thrown out there, what really is going on and what the real information is. It is my hope that you will rally around these efforts instead of condemning them and throwing much criticism when you have a great group of people who are willing and wanting to do some good. We know, you know, you guys don't get to see the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into being stonewalled about this information. You don't get to see the endless drilling down of research and everyone's doing these countless phone calls and leads and tracking down the right information that goes into bringing the best possible information in a very difficult situation uh, in challenging uh, attempt to get to the real information. So please, my invitation to you is to be open. And if you cannot be open, try to be cautiously open to new information. Stop judging and start participating. And if it's not for you, my suggestion is to go love Marilyn the way you want to. Celebrate her. That's your right. And that's your choice. And with that, I'm going to bring on just a few words with Randall Libero, our executive producer. I felt it was important that I made a statement, a strong statement, and I want people that if you're listening to this radio show to understand the motives and the evolution of where this came from. And now you have the ability to make a choice. So Randall, I know you wanted to say a few words as well. Thanks, Nina. Um, I think you've covered just about everything I can think of. But uh, I think it's important to reiterate when you started out uh, your dialogue that, um, that the process of what we're doing is evolving. And just like I think a lot of people listening to the show and a lot of even um, um, yourself and our panel, that once you start getting into looking at everything and trying to, as you said, drill down into what is the truth, and, and I don't know if we'll even ever get there, but we can. I think we'll be able to get close. We've got the best people that I think can be brought together to, to take a look at this. And... Uh, I think a lot of people really care about Marilyn, and we do as well. Uh, she was one of the most important people in the in the motion picture industry ever. Uh, she has she had a long history of of doing things that were unorthodox and 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 innovative, and she broke a lot of rules and she broke a lot of ground in the industry. And I think she's a really wonderful person to explore in terms of someone who led a very inspired life that is still inspiring people today. So we, we understand that a lot of people have a deep connection with her. And, you know, we're doing our best to be respectful of that. And I think that um, uh, from the beginning of this project, 
uh, that we have asked all the listeners out there tuning into this program if they know anything that could contribute to our investigation about really getting to the truth of what happened to Marilyn. We've asked that from everyone, everyone listening, to send us if you have something that nobody knows about, if you have a piece of evidence, if you know whatever that may be. We want to hear about it. So this is really a global effort of everyone. You know, we have our team together. We're doing this uh, to to be able to get to whatever that truth is, if if we can get there. So as you said, it's a journey. Uh, there are some things with our panel and the, the experts that we have and our investigation team that we've established. And we're going to continue to follow where the trail leads us. It's just like watching any good you know, television detective program. You follow the trail where it goes, and sometimes there's twists and turns in that trail and in that journey that you didn't see even right when you were right up against them. You don't see something coming. And we may find something that... Um, along as we, you know, between now and September when we do our event, that will blow the doors off of something, that will, someone will, will come forward. We, we're hoping that maybe something like that will happen, and we think it's still possible. But we're doing our best to follow what's in front of us. So I just wanted to, uh, and, you know, ask everyone to continue with us on this journey. And if you haven't listened to the shows from the beginning, to see how we've evolved from the beginning— then go and do that because you'll understand what we're talking about and why we're saying what we're saying now. All right. Well, thank you, Randall Libero, executive producer of Goodnight Maryland Radio. Um, that was a long-winded answer, but I thought was very necessary given the evolution of the investigation and having it have a life of its own and uh, really understanding where it came from, where it's going. It will be separated out. Uh, we were going to now pick up where we left off from last week, but we have to take a much-needed break because <laughs> uh, certainly I was long-winded there, and we'll pick up the conversation about the recap of last week's show and Marilyn's mental health. And uh, we will be back with the panel. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky, and we'll be back in just a moment. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to MarylandLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. We are picking up where we left off last week. And part of the reason why we're doing this is we had Dr. Reef Kareem, uh, a psychiatrist and addiction specialist who's also an investigative expert on the the, the team. Uh, and we also had the panel asking questions last week. Uh, Gary Vitaka Robles, icon, lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe. We had Leslie Kasperowitz, who is also on the panel, and Mary Jane Gray and April Via Via, who have spent a lot of years researching Marilyn. They do such fabulous work in regarding drilling down the research and just have to applaud the panel for all their hard work and and uh, love here and for Marilyn. So I just, uh, the other thing I wanted to point out that I don't point out that often because we just get right into the panel and I'm assuming everybody knows, but Gary Vitaka Robles, uh, Gary, are you on the line with me right now? Yes, Nina. Okay. I'd like people to know, because you are a mental health professional, and I'll say that as kind of a matter of fact, but I'd like people to explain, because I think you have a really interesting background in regards to not only knowing and researching Marilyn as long as you have and have written several books on her, but you also have a, a expertise in mental health. And if you could give the audience a little bit of background into who you are. Sure, Nina. Yeah, actually, this is my 30th anniversary working in the field of mental health, and um, I've been a licensed mental health counselor in Florida for over 20 years. I've done therapy with clients um, for about close to 25 years now, so I've had experience um, uh, at a state hospital and in outpatient clinics. Um, I've worked with folks with severe and persistent mental illness. Uh, such as schizophrenia and the bipolar spectrum. I've worked with folks with personality disorders, such as uh, borderline personality disorder. And I have um, uh, a large amount of experience working with uh, people who have been traumatized as children and uh, as adults, um, specifically um, sexual and physical abuse. So, so that gives you a lot of background, not only into mental health, but I think also can lay the groundwork in terms of uh, Maryland's mental health issues and also some of the questions that were spurred from last week. So if you can start the recap of last week's show, I think that will really help kind of drill down for people the understanding in terms of uh, Maryland's mental health and that, how that could have contributed to her death that night. Yes, Nina. Well, you know, Dr. Reef kind of framed Marilyn as a co-occurring um, disorder uh, in her life, which means that she not only had possibly two comorbid um, diagnoses, the borderline personality disorder and likely being on the bipolar spectrum, but she also had this substance use disorder, which um, we were all in agreement with. So the combination of the substances and the disorders uh, made her behavior very erratic, 
made her unpredictable and impulsive, and all of this made her at risk for suicide. And he also helped us understand that she was being prescribed mostly medications that depress the respiratory system. And so the type of um, uh, prescribing practices that she experienced with her doctors was a a polypharmacy. And he kind of expressed it, I think, really um, accurately when he said, rather than fine-tuning the medications specifically for her disorders, they just threw all the medications against the wall to see what would fit. And that was highly dangerous given her specific constellation of issues. So she's on um, lots of medications that have long half-lives, which is just another way of saying that they um, uh, maintain in the system for long periods of time. So just because they might not have worked and she might have been given something else or took something else, those medicines were still in her system, so they were um, interacting with each other and placing her at higher risk for addiction and respiratory um, depression, which could result in death. And Gary, just as a just as a sidebar, there he also said because this is a really key point: was Dr. Engelberg at that time, back in 1962, would he have been aware of those conflicting medicines having that kind of of, of effect? And Dr. Reef said yes, so he should have known the layering effect. I think that's what he's or stacking effect is what he said. Absolutely, he found um, the doctors culpable in the situation. They had knowledge of her past suicide attempts. And she was not being prescribed a mood stabilizer at the time. And, in fact, she was given medications that would exacerbate her mood disturbances and probably make her even more at risk. I thought what was really helpful that he said, which is something we we deal with every day in, in mental health, is that when someone is very seriously depressed, they might be a little less likely to hurt themselves because they have no energy to actually take action on what their thoughts are. But once um, the depression begins to lift ever so slightly and their energy level increases, they're feeling maybe a little bit better, they have more energy and they're more prone for suicide um, because now they have enough energy to actually take action. And sometimes if a, if a stimulating med or an antidepressant med is given, um, you see that increase in the energy, the depression is still there and it increases the risk. Um, well, I thought it was... It was interesting. We had an, an offline conversation, which the audience didn't hear, which I thought was really important because I had some specific questions about how Marilyn would have been diagnosed in 1962 because we were working out of a diagnostic and statistical manual. And, and, and Gary, just when you said offline conversation, Dr. Reef was still on the call. That's the offline conversation you're talking yeah, about, right? Yeah, okay. there was an additional okay. question, and, and he was still there to take it. And so, you know, we, I asked him, you know, under the DSM-1, and now we're, we're using DSM-5 as a manual for these disorders, you know, would she really have been, uh, would that have been identified? Um, because back then, you know, it was called manic depressive psychosis and depressive reaction. These are all like Freudian concepts, and now we have categories that's based upon what we know um, more uh, empirically. We know about uh, chemical changes in, in, the, in the brain that's um, creating these problems. So, you know, he said, indeed, you know, she would have, and the suicide prevention team did say that, you know, she had um, erratic moods. Um, you know, they definitely described a mood disorder, which is what bipolar disorder is. And um, although um, uh, lithium was used at the time, it was very, it was experimental. It didn't become um, 
uh, open for uh, general use until 1970, long after Marilyn died. He said, though, that, that she, as a celebrity, could have had access to it. Um, she might have had access to it while she was institutionalized or on an outpatient basis. Um, but we weren't clear if it had been suggested for her, if she had resisted it or complied with it. So he um, recommended that we search in her history for any use of antipsychotic meds because that's what would have been used actually back then to address uh, the, the bipolar disorder. And um, I had a vague memory of maybe hearing that she was on Trilofan that was a, a very early antipsychotic, or, or, but I was getting it confused with maybe Triavil, which was an early antidepressant. So we still have some research to do, and I haven't been able to um, find that information that I vaguely recalled. And I guess an, another um, important part of, of what he was telling us was, was uh, clearly Marilyn would have had some kind of a dependence. You know, she was on these classes of benzodiazepine drugs, the Librium, um, which is highly addictive if taken more than a few months, and she was on Nembatol, which becomes highly problematic if someone's on it for more than eight weeks. And we know that that um, continued use of these medicines create the very problems that she was struggling with, which were mood swings and anxiety and um, disturbed sleep and depression and agitation and irritability. If someone's prescribed these medications or is abusing them, um, all of the symptoms that they're kind of prescribed for, uh, it now brings. Um, he also helped us understand the um, narrow therapeutic index with Nembatol, which is there's a certain level of it that's required to help the person sleep. But if that level rises just ever so slightly, now it's in a toxic or a lethal dose. So that would be particularly dangerous for her, um, especially if she was impulsive or overtook or had so much access to the meds. Um, and we also, and also, just FYI, you know, we've been talking about this. The negligence is they knew her mental health uh, history, and to be able to put those dangerous drugs in combination of each other is really where the the uh, challenges with holding, or or really where the the issue is with holding Dr. Greenson and Dr. Engelberg accountable to Marilyn uh, passing that night. Yes, he, he clearly said that, you know, all of the 700 sedatives would, would flag a doctor for an investigation by the Drug Enforcement Administration. There would likely be prosecution or revocation of the license or being put on some kind of a probation. Um, and, you know, nowadays we have systems in place that track this. And um, back then, doctors were considered the almighty and patients followed their doctors, and um, this is very different now. We're all kind of our healthcare advocates, and we're supposed to be educated and, and assertive in our care. And uh, back then, um, the role of the doctor uh, was extremely different. And even, I think he said, as early as, um, as late as three to five years ago, things would have been handled differently. And, I, you know, what I, but one of the takeaway messages I had was, he, it was very challenging for Dr. Reeve to determine whether it was suicide, accidental, or undetermined. He, he pretty much could build a case for each of those things because there was just so much going on uh, in, in Marilyn's life. Um, 
and you know it kind of put us right back to where we where we started. But um, it, it was very helpful to hear him uh, clearly build a case for each one. Um, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I would say that not only, you know, building the case for each one, but I want to bring also the panel into this discussion is, you know, given what, uh, you know, that Dr. Dr. Reef was saying, Leslie, what are some of your thoughts given what Gary just recapped in last week's show? What were some of your takeaways? Um, I, I think that we, we, we've talked about it a lot, the medications and, you know, what knowledge the doctors had and, and what, what they were really thinking. Um, and I don't think that there's any question in this day and age that their behavior and that their prescribing practices would have been seen as downright irresponsible and illegal um, and, and may well have contributed to her death. I mean, well, did contribute to her death, obviously. Um, and as far as the depression issue goes, I think something we come across a lot is the question of why, um, why would she have killed herself? People saying she didn't seem like she was depressed at the time. She had reasons to be happy. And I think what gets lost in the shuffle of that is an understanding of how depression really works, um, which was, you know, covered very clearly um, in, the, in last week's show, I think, a little bit about how people think that you're only um, at risk for suicide when you're in that really down phase, and that's not at all the case. And I think that's a really big point to take um, out of what was said there, is that she didn't have to be appearing to be very depressed to the people around her for suicide to be a possibility. Well, and I also think that it's a really important, that's why, you know, with Dr. Reef and, and Gary's background in bipolar and borderline personality, that is a really crucial, you know, and I've been one, you know, I look at it as accidental in the sense that when somebody's taking that many medications, but you put the mental illness, and I think you guys uh, last last week uh, described it as or labeled it as a instantaneous uh, borderline suicide, which also makes it very different than somebody that might be just a little depressed and having suicidal thoughts or um, suicidal tendencies. It, and I think the more, and that's one of the things we also want to do at the conference, is shed light to, to mental health and mental health issues because, you know, there's such a stigma on it. And really, it's just like with any other thing that may be challenging in your life, whether it's a physical or mental disorder, to shed some light on really what is is bipolar and borderline personality because there are a lot of people suffering from mental disorders and there's a stigma still around it and it just is again about getting healed and getting help um, so I, I wanted to also you know Mary Jane uh, and, and this is also for the panel as well uh, feel free to chime in you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting is you hear Dr. Engelberg saying uh, after Marilyn passed that she was in good spirits, right? Then uh, what what did Dr. Greenson say after Marilyn passed? What was his thoughts? I thought it was that he didn't think that she committed suicide. What was his actual thought after she had passed? Well, um, Dr. Greenson had said if you look at the the DA report and the statements that are included in there that she was very upset about something. He um, originally had said she was upset about something that had happened the night before and he had to do a two-hour session at her home to kind of, you know, get her settled down again. He said that he went home that night and he was unable to sleep because he was concerned about her. So I think coming from her psychiatrist, and and contradicting the, you know, she was happy and upbeat and nothing was wrong is something that really needs to be looked at. 
Yeah, and also, Gary, could you just shed a, just a little bit of light on the mental health aspect uh, of this? And I want April to ch- chime in after with her thoughts. But uh, in terms of borderline and bipolar disorder and what could be the reason why somebody could be happy one minute and maybe sad the next? Well, with, with, in a borderline crisis, that, that is... Um a person who is is um, making an attempt or a gesture. Sometimes we refer to them as gestures because it's it's a way to express very intense emotional pain, a cry for help, a desire to be rescued, um, hoping that um, if put in this peril, other people will care enough to take action and um, rescue me from this. Uh, sometimes people with the, this disorder, they're just in such emotional pain that they want to deaden the pain in that moment, not really thinking about the ultimate consequence of, of killing themselves and not coming back. They just need the pain to end. And there's been a lot of research surrounding this, and we see the same uh, suicidal-type behavior sometimes in people who are late-stage um, cancer patients because they're in such physical pain that they become almost suicidal when their um, pain medications are are withdrawn. So, you know, we can equate physical pain with emotional pain. So, you know, you've got that element of, of, um, you know, and sometimes it's surrounding an abandonment issue uh, that someone with borderline personality is is in such pain over. But when you have a a bipolar disorder, you, you have chemical changes in the brain that are changing things that are not necessarily created by a trigger such as a loss or um, some other significant negative life event. Sometimes well, it's just the, the mood um, that's created by the chemistry in, in the brain. But in Marilyn's case, you've got medications that could be um, creating that kind of impulsivity or um, that, that greater risk to take one's own life or to have very poor judgment um, or impulsivity. Yeah, and Dr. Reef Kareem said that those drugs specifically actually could have actually exasperated her condition, and then the lack of sleep is also an issue to where she wasn't in her right mind. April, what are your thoughts on this as well? Um, My thing really ties into what Janie was just talking about. I actually have an article from an old medical journal um, from 1973 where Greenson's speaking out against the Mailer book. And um, he admits that his way of treatment wasn't correct for her and that he believes she committed suicide and he didn't really, I don't want to say he didn't really know what he was doing, but he didn't think that he had a proper handling of the situation. And I think our conversation last week just proved his point that neither doctor had an adequate handling of how Marilyn should have been treated. Exactly. I think that's a really good point. And and having those types of articles and having the ability to have this information, because it's really easy. And I said this in the opening that, you know, we could throw a soundbite out there and say this, or we could sound that. And we're really, uh, I have to say this season, we're really drilling down some of this information and, and really getting to some of the nuances and Uh, intimacy of what was going on. And one of the other things that I found uh, fascinating and one thing that I want to point out, and I want to ask the panel each this question. So, you know, there's a, uh, last week they talked about actually intentional suicide. Somebody wants to take their life and then there's this instantaneous that might have been just very momentary. They want the pain to go away, but they aren't necessarily thinking that they want to take their life. So, 
part of what we're trying to drill down here in terms of Maryland, this is specific to Maryland, do you think that given the fact that she was found in the nude and she was somewhat unkept in terms of her nails and, 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 and being able to be presented, quote, to the world, and the bottle caps were on, do you see that, one, Marilyn would have put the caps on the, the, the bottles? Just this is opinion, right? And given what you know about her, would she have intentionally taken her life in that form with, with being found that way? Leslie, I'll speak. I'll start with you. Um, well, certainly, I think that the nudity is not an enormous issue because we all know that Marilyn was very comfortable in the nude. Um, she didn't really have a lot of issue with being found or seen nude, rather. Um, the bottle caps are definitely a big question, and um, unfortunately, I don't think we can clearly answer it uh, because that goes to what she was thinking at the time, which is something we simply can't answer. Um, and I don't think that she was terribly unkempt, really. Um, I think there's been a little bit of rumor on that um, because there have been some stories that came out describing how she appeared in the coroner's office. And um, as much as I hate to look at the pictures um, that were taken uh, um, after death, I, to me, her hair is a little messy, but I don't see signs of her being enormously unkempt there. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a question, especially the bottle caps. That's definitely a question that bothers me, uh, and I can't readily answer it um, without knowing, you know, exactly what she was thinking. All right, April. Um, on the bottle caps, I agree with Wesley's mindset on it. I mean, if she was being very methodical about it and everything, I don't really think that that points to anything. Um, like Wesley said, we really don't know her mindset. And um, Eunice reports that Marilyn had been gardening all day and that she really hadn't gotten dressed all day. And the suicide prevention team reports that as well. So I really don't think that either one's a huge issue. And I don't think if she did commit suicide, I don't think she would have been thinking, how are they going to think of me? I mean, if she wants to end her life, I don't think that would have been her top priority at that point. Yeah, but I'm saying if it was she went into the day intentionally, would that have been something? Because she was also a very, very particular in how she looked in photos. She was extremely uh, critical of how she was portrayed in the media. So do you, uh, that's what I'm asking, an intentional, not so much the instantaneous and she could have, have done it. I'm just saying it, it, that she go into that day, this is how I'm going to do it. That's what I was asking you. I don't believe um, so. I don't. Th- I think that part to me, if it was an intentional suicide, if she had the plan throughout the day, I suspect that she may have asked Eunice Marie to leave. I find it odd that if she was intending to end her life that day, throughout the day, that she would have done so when Eunice Marie was in the house. All right, I agree and with that. And Mary Jane, your thoughts? Um, I tend to also agree that it, it, I don't think it was something that she woke up this morning, you know, that morning and said today is going to be the day. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I think whatever upset her to the point that she needed Dr. Greenson to come over, um, we don't know what that was, but whatever it was, that was the trigger. That was some sort of emotional pain that she wanted to end. And I think if it was intentional suicide, I think it was impulsive. And if that was the case, I don't think, you know, having her nails dirty from gardening all day was really a big concern when she just wanted whatever pain she was in at that moment yeah. to stop. Yeah, very different. I just want to have the distinction because that's a very, that then drilling down, that's how much we're drilling down in this season. And Gary, your, your thoughts on this? Difficult to determine, but I lean more toward the impulsivity 
you know, I, I don't get the impression that she got up that day um, planning it. Um, she might have already had a hoard of medication. I mean, sometimes with people who've dealt with depression and suicide thoughts for most of their lives, they, they might even stockpile thinking at some point it's going to happen. Um, I don't think she probably went into the day with it. I also, though, believe that the lay people surrounding her could not adequately assess her depression because depression doesn't always normally look like depression. And if they had only known Marilyn in this state, depression could look like agitated, irritable, angry, cranky. Um, it doesn't always look like classic sadness suicide. So some of these opinions uh, I don't know if, if I can trust because we certainly have enough uh, information about her being all of those other symptoms which are related to depression. All right. Well, this uh, we're not going to be able to get into Eunice Murray today um, simply because there's a lot to Eunice Murray. There'll probably be a whole darn show. Um, we I do want to play that soundbite, and we also have a lot of questions. So I promise in in the next show that we will address your questions first, and then we'll get into Eunice Murray, who she was, because there's still a lot of people out there that you know claim that she was a nurse, and who was she? Because she was the one one consistent person that was with Marilyn. Uh, specifically the last day of her life. So final thoughts, uh, Leslie, on this show and the recap of the pathology. Um, I just wanted to, since I have my moment, I wanted to add something I just found in my notes um, regarding Greenson and what um, Gary had just said about pills, about that she may have been hoarding pills. Um, He initially, according to Hildy Greenson, thought that she did not mean to commit suicide and that it was accidental. But at one point, Hildy says that he changed his mind because he thought that perhaps she may have been hiding pills. And that was in the interview with Hildy. Um, And then a few years later, he changed it back to thinking accidental. So I think that even Greenson himself just wasn't sure. All right. Gary? Oh, I, I kind of agree, I agree with, with some of the, the points that Leslie came out. I, 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 I can honestly say that Greenson and Engelberg were, were over their heads and not able to help this woman, um, and that's left us with this, with this mystery. All right. Mary Jane, just a few, few seconds here. Your final thoughts? Um, I think a lot of what this comes down to is trying to figure out what Marilyn's intent was, and I think that's going to be the most difficult part of this investigation because that was in her mind. She's the only one who really knew if, you know, she just wanted to get some sleep, if she just, you know, wanted to end it all. We don't know, and I think that's going to be the most difficult part to ferret out. All right, April, just a few seconds left. Um, I think that we've made huge strides with this investigation and can't wait to see what else we uncover. Woohoo! All right, on that final note, yeah, you have at the panel their input, a lot of really great uh, recap on last week's show, this week's show, and most of all, Marilyn's mental health and uh, what was going on, on in terms of prescription drugs and what might have been going on in her mind that day. Until next time, we're going to be off next week because of Memorial Weekend. We'll be back the week after uh, with uh, drilling down your questions, and we'll get to Eunice Murray thanking the panel thanking all of you and until next time i'm nina boski for goodnight maryland radio never stop dreaming thank you for joining us for today's show goodnight maryland radio with nina boski can be heard live every friday at 1 p.m eastern time 10 a.m pacific time on the voice america variety channel 
Be sure to tune in again next week. 